0: The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Brian Crumby Radio Hour on Saga 960. So it's a long weekend. And, uh, you know, after the long weekend, a lot of people are starting to think about uh, what next. Um, a lot of... Uh, Political campaigns get a little bit more earnest. A lot more barbecues, a lot more picnics. Um, people are enjoying the the dog days of summer, but starting to think a little bit more about uh, school and uh, and work and things. And so I thought it'd be really helpful to check in with uh, Dan Donovan, who is the editor and publisher, owner of Ottawa Life Magazine. Uh, we've chatted before, and I thought we'd do a little bit of roundup uh, of a bunch of the different issues that are going on within uh, within Canada today. Dan. How are you? Welcome to the show.
1: Never better. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, Always nice to talk to you, especially on a nice long weekend, sunny days. Uh, Like you said, everyone's enjoying the summer.
0: You went out for a nice bike ride and got some sun, I take it.
1: You know, Ottawa is such a great city for uh, recreational, outdoor stuff. We have so many wonderful uh, bike paths along the Ottawa River and uh, in and behind uh, Parliament Hill and um, just a wonderful, wonderful day here. People are you know, starting to come out of their shell a bit, but I think we're, you know, people The residue of COVID is still there. So uh, it's, um, but it's still nice to see a lot of people out.
0: You know, I got to tell you, it was in Florida last week. COVID never happened. It's amazing. In Florida, <laughs> COVID never happened. And they, you know, lots of people have got it, but as far as they're concerned politically, never happened. It's amazing the attitude they've, uh, they've got to it. And I was in Texas, I guess, two weeks ago, and frankly, a similar attitude. So, uh, you know, Canada, Ontario, Ottawa, Toronto is our difference. There's no question. But uh, anyway, let's let's talk about politics to start with. Uh, and uh, the Conservative Leadership Campaign is something we've had a couple of conversations about. And I guess the big news uh, in the last little while is that uh, that uh, uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper has come out and endorsed uh, Pierre Polyev. What do you think of that?
1: Well, it's very interesting, uh, the different reactions to that. The first thing that I thought when I heard it was why? And and uh, let me explain that, because, you know, the narrative has been from the Polyev camp that they're way ahead and they're going to win this on the first ballot. And uh, so I was thinking, well, if that's the case, why do you need that endorsement? Uh, are you in trouble? Is there a problem? You know, Jean Charest is is uh, nipping uh, apparently uh, behind in this race, but still nipping away at it. and. As we know that this is not a one vote, one person, one vote race. This is the way the rules work in this race is it's on points. So, for example, a riding in Quebec with 200 conservative members might have the same value in terms of the weighted vote as a riding with 10,000 people in Alberta. So, you know. Jean Charest doesn't need to get the same amount of voters uh, that that Pierre Poilievre has, and and the Conservative Party's not releasing these numbers, they're, they're being a little quiet on the details. So I just thought it was odd that Harper came out and, and endorsed him. I think um, I don't think Stephen Harper's a fan of Jean Charest, but the party tradition is not to do that. He didn't do it in Shear, he didn't do it with, certainly with Aaron O'Toole. And there is a a sort of history in our parties here where former prime ministers sort of stay out of the fray, so it's ah uh, it's interesting that uh, he came out and did that. Um, but again, my question was, well, why? If you're so far ahead, why would why would Polyev need that? So that's you know others say, well, it just reinforces this view of the Conservative Party that it's it's the party of Stephen Harper and. Uh, Pauliev is a protege of that. He was a parliamentary secretary to Stephen Harper. He was a minister and a junior minister in the Harper government. So this is Harper putting his uh, sort of hand over Pauliev and anointing, you know, his his view that uh, the conservative policies of Pierre Pauliev are are the way to go. But he didn't do that with Aaron O'Toole, who was in his cabinet, and he certainly didn't do it for Andrew Scheer, who had been a former speaker of the House. So. It's odd. It's odd.
0: I'm not sure if you saw it, but Angus Reid came out with a poll last week uh, that showed that uh, Pierre Polyev and his policies were very positive within the Conservative Party. But within the electorate in general, Jean Charest had the better policies and uh, and had more support. And it comes back to the discussion that we've had in the past that uh, Polyev might find it easier to win the Conservative Party than he will the country, and that Jean Charest is actually potentially the choice of more people in Canada might have a better chance against the Liberals, particularly those blue Liberals that uh, might be very attracted to some of his policies. And, you know, some of the statistics were quite telling that uh, that a lot of people that vote um, Liberal in Ontario and a lot of people that vote Conservative in Ontario wouldn't be choosing Pierre Polyev, but would be choosing Jean Charest. I don't know if you saw that and what do you think of it?
1: Well, I think that's true. I did see that. And and I did go through that poll. And it is interesting. And I think it's not surprising in the sense that uh, Jean Charest is a progressive conservative. You know, he's not he's not a conservative in the in the sense that um, that Poliaviz or Stephen Harper were. And uh, they had a coming together of that party with Stephen Harper and Peter McKay's agreement. Uh, In the early 2000s, where they agreed to get along and McKay became the deputy leader and then Harper was the leader and he went on to become the prime minister. But uh, the issue really is uh, this is that when I talk about, you know, the existential crisis in the Conservative Party, this is the battle for the soul of the Conservative Party. There are those in the party who believe that uh, we go hardcore. Uh, We should, uh, you know, they believe they should go hardcore. They should have these conservative values and that's it. And we're not doing any of this man be pamby, middle of the road stuff, progressive stuff. And that's how we're going to win. And we're going to bring in a whole new group of voters that are going to help us do that. I don't know that that's going to work. I also think that whoever wins a conservative leadership race, uh, whether it's Polyev or Charest, they have a very good chance of, of beating the Trudeau government, because as we know, governments are not voted in generally, they're voted out. And I think uh, this government's got the sort of past due date on on them. And I think people generally are with this government, this Trudeau government, where they were with the wind government back in 2018, they were just saying like, enough, like, stop, go away, please leave. And I, I really get a sense, uh, when you look at the to, to Polyev's point, um, he was critical of the Bank of Canada. Uh, he's been consistent on that, uh, on their policy, on their printing money. He's been consistent about the fact that, you know, their job is to keep inflation at 2%. And and a year ago, the Bank of Canada s- said, hey, Tiff Macklin said, nothing to worry about. We're at 2%. Yeah, everybody calm down. Uh, there's not going to be a problem. I- inflation today is at 8.1%. Gas prices are the highest they've ever been. And part of the, I think the things that Kualiev is tapping into is this uh, anger that I sense in in a, with a lot of people that things aren't working properly, that government isn't working properly, the Bank of Canada isn't working properly for us. And then on top of that, uh, you see things happen like the Bank of Canada, even though they've messed this up and they've now admitted they messed it up, they gave out 43 million dollars in bonuses to bank of canada employees last year so there's a problem there there's also a problem in the federal government When over covid uh, during covid federal public employees got almost a billion dollars in raises and bonuses a billion dollars and even though they got that uh we didn't and we spent a trillion dollars we have not seen an increase in healthcare capacity in this country the president of the cma just a month ago said that healthcare in canada is collapsing in her view uh, we don't have uh, the the proper numbers of of nurses and doctors and frontline healthcare providers we need so we spent a trillion dollars we've given public servants a billion dollars in in raises and in bonuses healthcare is not working the passports aren't working. People can't get their passports. They're camping out. Uh, the airports aren't working. And then, of course, the so Polyev has tapped into a lot of this anger, and and then the response of government is, well, this is happening everywhere. But frankly, it's not. You know, it's just not. And Pearson Airports ha- has a record right uh, now. So I'm, I'm
0: gonna, I'm gonna challenge you on some of this, Dan. Uh, sure. um, but we're gonna take a break first to give you a breather so that you can uh, respond uh, adequately to my challenge. But we're gonna take a break for some messages. We'll be back in just two minutes with Dan Donovan, editor and publisher of Ottawa Life Magazine. Uh, we're talking, you know, really about a whole bunch of different issues that are confronting uh, Canada today. Stay with us, everybody. no radio no problem stream us live on saga960am.ca welcome back everyone to the brian crumby radio hour on saga 960. Uh, we got a special Holiday Monday show with Dan Donovan, who is the editor and publisher of Ottawa Life Magazine, someone who I've connected with a few times to talk about politics and uh, and what's going on in Ottawa, uh, obviously from someone who knows it unbelievably well. Uh, Dan is uh, a former political staffer. Uh, he's someone who knows politics well. I got to repeat it again. He's a former stand-up comedian. The man is funny. He's smart. He's an incredibly well uh, written individual. Uh, he writes unbelievably well, and he's a nice guy. And uh, he's a obviously a student of uh, politics and uh, and current events and knows what's going on. But Dan, I got to challenge you on 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 some of the things that you just mentioned. So first of all, inflation. You know, um, inflation is above eight nine percent in the whole Western world. Um, uh, the Federal Reserve uh, has uh, just this past Wednesday jacked uh, interest rates by 75 basis points, unheard of in uh, in the United States. Uh, the uh, European um, uh, community, uh, the, the Euro Bank, uh, is going to be jacking up interest rates. Uh, the, the, the Bank of England has already jacked up interest rates. Inflation is everywhere. And it's, you know, yes, um, certainly impacted by government spending and monetary easing that uh, the Bank of Canada is somewhat responsible for, and clearly the government of Canada is responsible for, but also supply constraints that uh, have impacted the whole world because of COVID and the war in uh, in Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine that has dramatically impacted. Uh, and, you know, how can you say that the Bank of Canada is, uh, is wrong, has made mistakes when, uh, you know, it's happening everywhere? And, you know, I take it, you know, if we had not had the kind of monetary easing that the Bank of Canada had, do you think we could have, given that we're in a globally connected world, actually had a situation where we had inflation at 3%? Is there any way possible that Canada could have had inflation at 3% or 2% when the United States, when England, when the whole European community is up in the eight 9% range? Is that possible at all?
1: Well first a couple of interesting points here Brian and I want to preface what I'm saying by you know as we both are I'm an observer of these things so I'm pointing out when I'm talking about these things I'm just pointing out for example the things that the conservative leadership contenders are saying including polyev sha uh Palliv and Sade mostly um and Scott just into a, a lesser degree uh so the, I, I'm just pointing out things that they're saying with regards to this with regards to inflation the bank of the governor the the governor of the bank of canada tiff macklin has actually come out and said he got it wrong now would we have inflation anyways absolutely but would it be at 8.1 percent in canada i don't know and the other issue we have to ask ourselves is we've spent we've we, we got a trillion dollar debt in this country. We have not quite 40 million people. We now have a trillion dollar debt. And I've said this before. Before the COVID crisis, our debt was about 425 billion dollars. It's over a trillion dollars now. And what do we have to show for that? That's that's a question and that that is something the electorate will, will answer in the next election. But there is a lingering feeling out there that not only did the bank get it wrong, and they've admitted they got it wrong. Yes, we'd have inflation now, but, but 8.3%. And oh, on I... top of that, what's different here. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At US Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger or just out by Granger for the ones who get it done.
1: is we also have gas prices through the ceiling. and the 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 fact is that the gas prices are up. We've shut down our energy sector in this country under this government under the altar of climate change which is a real thing but the problem is the carbon tax this very onerous carbon tax they put on everyone uh is going into general revenues so they're using this carbon tax as part of the general revenues of government can instead of it going into a specific file for climate change it's just going into general revenues and that's why they're spending like drunken sailors and so there's no discipline and so i think what what The conservatives have tapped into in a very real way is people's frustration that things aren't working you know on top of everything else we have inflation we have high gas prices we have a we have a minister of finance and a deputy prime minister who just weeks ago was standing at a press at a a press event and bragging about the fact that she lives in downtown toronto and patting herself on the back because she doesn't, her and her husband have two kids and they live in downtown Toronto and they don't have a car. And, and you know, let's pin a medal on her. That is just so not the reality of like 99% of the people in this country who don't have access to public transit, who don't have access uh, to the types of things and privileges she has. Uh, and so she, she's just, it just proved how detached Most people in this country drive vehicles. They do. That's how they get around. So it's, it's a lack of, a, as they say in French, pas, with the population. It's like, let them eat cake. Well, you know, no, we're not going to do anything to deal with the gas prices. We're, they've shut down all the pipelines. We're, why are we importing oil from Saudi Arabia in our country when we can be energy self-sufficient? What, why are we doing that? These are questions, legitimate questions that are being raised and i think i think when the government is not able to answer those questions when people say the arrive can app why are we still doing that this government criticizes china they they claim china is this some this state that's got state surveillance everywhere but the arrive can app they're collecting all the data from canadians on that they're not telling us what they're doing with it it is one of many things that are causing problems at the airports uh, so there's it's just the inconsistency of policy, and I think these are things that the conservatives are tapping into in the leadership race, and it's showing in the polls. It's showing that's why they're ahead.
0: So let's let's uh, talk about some of these things. Uh, so inflation, I think, is a is a G seven, if not a worldwide uh, problem, uh, and I don't think there's any way that we could have bucked that trend. and 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 the U.S. dollar is on a tear right now. It's uh, equivalent to the euro. Uh, or at least it was uh, for a day last week. Uh, And and if Canada had interest rates substantially below the United States, even if we had kept inflation in check, what we would have done is we would have uh, created a situation where the Canadian dollar would have been in free fall. Uh, So we we live in a globalized world where interest rates have to be somewhat comparable between Canada, United States, Europe, uh, the UK, um, and inflation ends up being that way. Uh, Gas prices are coming down. Um gas prices have come down for the last 2 weeks in the United States and they're going to be coming down. Hang in- on.
1: <laughs> you, well, that's a relative statement. I mean when, you know, a year and a half ago you could get gas uh, for no 95. Person, but cents as you a well
0: liter. know, as you well know, none of us were driving. You know, none of us were driving and uh and and we didn't have a war in uh, Ukraine and gas was uh, at an all-time low. Gas was negative during the pandemic. Uh, uh people were were pleading with people to buy gas and then gas went up like crazy. When we were in an inflationary environment, um, and you know, I think one of the mistakes clearly that that the world made, and it's interesting because, and Biden's, you know, probably getting criticized this, the president of the United States, more than anyone. But what Biden said, and it's interesting, uh, what he said is, in the aftermath of the Great Recession in 08, 2008, 2009, we didn't do enough, and we didn't do it quick enough, and uh, and so therefore the recovery coming out of the 08, 09 recession was anemic and took a lot longer. And so what happened is, is the US, Canada, Europe, uh, the UK, et cetera, all spent a lot more money and a lot more quickly. Um, you know, we did not have, you know, remember, you probably remember this better than anybody, but in the fall of 08, Stephen Harper was a minority government. He did not want to, even though we were having a, a, this great recession, this crash in the United States, Stephen Harper didn't want to have a fiscal stimulus. And uh, and and uh, uh, Dion and, uh, and and the NDP had an agreement uh, to bring down the government and change the uh, the uh, situation, Ignatiev.
1: And uh, you forgot one thing, Dion, uh, and the NDP, and the Parti Québécois, the separatists. The separatists—they were going to get in bed with the separatists to try to displace a, you know, a minority government, uh, using the separatists, and that's why that didn't work.
0: Yeah, and Ignatiev ended up taking control of the party, the Liberal Party at the time. And uh, January or so uh, decided that uh, they weren't going to do the deal with the Black Québécois and they were going to support uh, Stephen Harper. And Stephen Harper passed a budget or a financial update, can't remember which it was, that was stimulative, not nearly right. as stimulative as what maybe 60,
1: it was. It was $60 billion and they spent those, that money over the next three years. And then what they did, and and I agree with you, it was the right thing to do. Uh, in fact, uh, you'll see a lot of that money in community centers all over Ontario and hockey rinks and little community centers. You know, if you drive around the province, uh, it was that economic stimulus plan that they did. And I, I agree with it. It was like that John uh, Keynes type of economic thinking. Where but you the, sort but of- the,
0: the learning from that, right or wrong, the learning from that, according to Biden, was that we didn't spend enough. We wouldn't spend it quickly enough. And so, therefore, what ended up happening with the pandemic is every government spent a lot of money and spent it quickly and overspent it and overspent it such uh, so long that we ended up having an inflationary environment. And so we got it wrong in 08, 09, we underspent and we got it wrong in 21 and we overspent. Um, but what we had was a huge comeback and we've got the lowest unemployment in history right now. You know, unemployment in, in several states in the United States is below 2%, like it's unheard of how low the unemployment is. Um, But that clearly has led to an inflationary environment. So, you know, I I, hang
1: on though, hang on. The unemployment rate is a bit of a misnomer because uh, one of the things you get when you have high inflation is lower employment is, is lower unemployment. And the other thing that's happened in this, in the same period with COVID is uh, that we've had a mass exodus of the workforce from people in their late fifties to their late sixties who are not coming back. So you know, this This is a coincidental thing as well, where there's uh, there's low unemployment right now because a lot of people exited the workforce and aren't coming back. That's what's driving the employment numbers. Uh, but when you get to the debt, and, and I agree, you know, stimulus is a good De- thing. Debt is a but- problem.
0: There's no question. Debt is a problem. And regrettably, no one's been talking about it. Um, and in the last federal election, no one talked about it. Frankly, in the last provincial election in Ontario, nobody talked about it. And you even know, in an inflationary environment, when the bank of canada is is increasing interest rates to try to slow down the economy to be giving you know, you know to re, to be removing sticker fees on license plate renewals to be removing tolls um on uh, you know the provincial government and the liberal government and the, the liberal party and the ndp party were trying to buy votes with policies that made no sense during an inflationary policy
1: are you talking about the license plate sticker yeah Yep. well i think that was brilliant i think i think this shows why the doug ford increased his seats in the legislature and it told me that this guy is totally in touch with with working people and middle-class people in this province because working-class people in canada middle-income people in this ca- in this country are under a great deal of stress right now because of inflation because of high fuel prices Because of, for example, in Ottawa, they talk, you know, they got public transit here. the O train is the O no train because it doesn't work. It's a four billion dollar project that was managed by city officials and bureaucrats. Guess who's behind it? SNC. The train don't work. It doesn't work. And and so people can't get get around in the city. And then when they when they go to get on the on the O train on the days it is working, they want three seventy five per ride it's not affordable for people. And Doug Ford, I think what he tapped into in the Ontario election was the fact that, why why do we have this license plate sticker thing in Ontario where everybody's got to pay this money? Why are we doing that? Why? And it was a good question. Why? Why are we doing that? So he just got rid of the fees. I don't see that as, I see that as giving people a break. And it's the kind of thing he gave a break on 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 the gas taxes. Did the did, did Trudeau government give a break on, on the ta- carbon tax well, well, or the gas taxes? No. That's not buying and, votes. I think it's being in touch with people.
0: And when you're in an inflationary environment and the Bank of Canada is increasing interest rates to slow down the economy, he's doing the exact opposite thing to what he should be doing. He frankly, May not be politically wise, but he should be increasing taxes, not reducing taxes and fees. And what's going to end up happening is the Bank of Canada, you know this, the Bank of Canada is going to have to increase interest rates even more than they otherwise would have because of the things the Ontario government is doing in that regard. What he is doing is exactly what Kane said, don't do, which is he's he's putting he's spiking the punch bowl when you when you should be taking the punch bowl away because the party is going way too wild. What Doug Ford did is he spiked the punch bowl in the end, and he's going to froth it up. And it's the same thing that Stephen Harper did in 2007, 2008, which I think is going to come down in history as one of the stupidest financial decisions ever made. Politically, maybe smart, but stupid financially, is he reduced the GST by a, a point, uh, two points in total, but another point in, uh, in I think it was January of 2008 which led to a situation where the Canadian dollar went from something like 95, 97 cents us to one Oh three. And by September, it was down in the eighties. And so what ended up happening is you created this froth in the marketplace. You created a huge amount of fiscal stimulus when we were already over uh, inflated and in a bubble economy such that the drop is even worse. And that's exactly what I think Doug Ford is doing. So you may be right that he may have bought votes with it and people may have liked it, but it was the wrong financial thing to do.
1: Well, I'll tell you, what, I disagree with that, and I think it's something that uh, Pierre Polyev and and others have tapped into, and I think that a lot of um, a lot of people are aren't sort of connecting this. We, we we have this sort of dystopian landscape we live in right now, uh, where people are under extreme financial pressure, and the p but but the officials and politicians who are in charge of things have a double standard. And I'll give you an example. The very Bank of Canada you you talk about who are tasked with coming up with our banking policy, as I said earlier, they got it wrong. But in their mind, these people who are making these decisions, you're supposed to have a certain sanity about them. They think that even though they they did not do their job, like in a big way, it's okay to give 43 Uh, million dollars out in bonuses to their staff. Then you look at, uh, like I said, I I talked about the pay raises and and privileges for federal public servants after people have been devastated by COVID and businesses and they're giving themselves raises. Then you look at uh, the banks. You look at the oligopoly. The banks in this country have never made bigger profits than they have made during COVID. So you've got uh, five or six six key CEOs of banks here that there are an oligopoly there's no competition in banking people pay high fees in banking for businesses for mortgages for investments they're paying these crazy fees the bank manager sorry the bank presidents in this country are on average of 14 million dollars a year the bank of nova scotia last year increased its profits in in one year from $6.7 to $10 billion in profits. So people, uh, you know, so people are, and then, and people go to the store and it lettuce costs nine bucks. And and then, so Doug Ford and other politicians are saying, we got to give people a break. We got to give them a break at the pumps. We got to give them a break at the license bureau. And then other people say, oh, we got to tax people more. No, what we should, and the thing is with the John Maynard Keynes and, and his whole Keynesian economic policy actually, what Harper did, and I agree with you, Harper was dragged to the table in 2008-2009 to do stimulus spending, which he should have done, but but at least by the time he got there and he did it, they spent the money, they took the investments, they invested in communities, they got people working, they got these investments out, and then they took the steps to pay the debt back and pay it back down. There is no uh, focus in this government on repaying the trillion dollar debt we have and so you count that now we've got this trillion dollar debt and interest rates have gone up with the lucky land sluts you can get lucky just about anywhere
0: this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so i suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky
1: plus so you have a bank i agree interest rates had to go up by the bank of canada to curb inflation but part of this problem is you know our government the federal government on multiple levels has made what is a difficult situation worse they've made it worse by not only their actions but they've also made it worse by their own behavior they're they're at the trough you know rewarding themselves the bank should have said we're not taking any bonuses or raises this year i I go back to a guy like frank Stronach at Magna international you know one of the most successful industrialists and business people of the last half century in this country and people used to criticize him because he would he would get a percentage of the company's earnings uh you know and he was a billionaire he one year i gosh i'm I'm, don't quote me on this prime but i think one year he made i don't know like 40 million dollars But, you know, when the downturn happened, he didn't take any money because he said that's not that we have a constitution and I can't take money because we're not making money. But in government, whether they're making money or not making money, they're giving everybody bonuses. So people, everyday people who are struggling, who are struggling with, you know, an interest rate rate. an interest rate that goes up, even 1% can cost a family five or 600 bucks a month.
0: Uh, yeah, we're gonna have, because of the interest rate increases, we're gonna have a decline in housing prices. And, and we've gotta recognize that what ended up happening is we had, we we had a we had a, a bubble uh, and the bubble was created by cheap interest and uh, what ended up happening is a whole bunch of people took advantage of that cheap interest and bought homes that were more expensive and bigger than they probably uh, you know could otherwise justify in a regular interest rate environment um, and so I agree with what you're saying in a in a yeah you know, impact on people my concern is that it's going to be bigger. And, uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to have, there's a good chance that we have a 20%. Uh, RBC and BMO have come out just this past week and said they're predicting a, between a 15 and 20% decrease in housing prices. Uh, and that's what should happen uh, because our housing prices have gone up we by 30 40% the last year. So therefore, people are going to hurt. But when you think about what's happened is we've been the beneficiary. Of these low interest rates, and we put the government of Canada, the Bank of Canada, put in these number one, these low interest rates, and number two, the the deficit spending to get people through the uh, the pandemic. And what ended up happening because of that is too many people invested way too much money in the stock market and too much money in housing. Stock market is down twenty percent uh, overall. Um, the tech market part of the stock market, stock market is down thirty five percent, and they are predictor. Typically, of what goes on in the rest of the economy. And so, if that's 20 to 35% decline, uh, that should suggest a uh, dramatic depreciation in housing prices, which is going to impact people even more than you're worried about. What I'm saying is that government and the Bank of Canada should be doing the same thing. And we've got the problem now is that the Bank of Canada is trying to slow down the economy at the same time as Doug Ford is doing the opposite. And it may be politically saleable and it may be smart politics, like you say it is, but it's actually not good financial policy. And in the end, the Bank of Canada will have to do even more work to bring the inflationary environment to heed. Anyway, part of the problem is we've actually talked more about the fiscal situation in Canada than the leaders have in the last couple of leadership debates. You know, one of the things is the only guy in the last two leadership debates that was talking about fiscal policy was Maxine Bernier and, uh, and, and you know, uh, Aaron O'Toole and, uh, and Andrew Scheer and Justin Trudeau. And Jagmeet Singh, they didn't talk about any of this, which is part of the problem is that we don't have people that are willing to talk about it. We're going to take a break for two minutes and come back more with Dan Donovan. And I'm going to ask him about the other big issue that happened this past week, and that is the Pope's visit and what he thinks of uh, of both the visit, of the apology, and of the comment that, uh, that we've had a genocide uh, in Canada. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be back in just two minutes. Stream us live at saga960am.ca. Welcome back, everyone, to the Brian Crombie Radio we're on Saga 960. we got a special Civic Monday. Uh, what is actually? Is it called still Civic Monday? I can't even remember what it's called these days. But anyway, our August uh, long weekend holiday. Um, and I wanted to do a political roundup uh, check-in with Dan Donovan who is uh, an incredibly interesting guy. He is the editor and publisher of Ottawa Life Magazine. He is a former stand-up comic. And I just, I want to come see you do some stand-up comedy sometime, uh, Dan. I think it would be just spectacular. He worked for uh, Frank Stronach in the past. He's uh, been a political staffer on Parliament Hill. And for the last 20 years, he's been running Ottawa Life Magazine. Um, and publishing some incredibly interesting uh, articles. Uh, The cover story in their, I think it was their June uh, edition, was the the existential crisis within the Conservative Party. And we had a really interesting conversation about uh, the debate within the Conservative Party about whether it should go populist and uh, right-wing or go progressive conservative, uh, which is the historical, um, I think the historical success of the Conservative Party. Anyway, Dan, let me ask you about the Pope's visit. Um you know he made a couple of interesting things he, statements he he apologized people criticized the apology wasn't wasn't comprehensive enough he seemed to increase the apology and then on the plane he uh he said it was a a genocide what do you think of the 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 Pope's visit to canada and what the implications are
1: Well I I have mixed feelings about it uh I'm a you know former catholic I I was Baptized Catholic, raised Catholic, like uh, a lot of people my generation. I left the church, like the, the the what I call the administration of the church myself uh, when I was thirty. I was upset about the the Mount Cashel uh, issue out in Newfoundland, which, as we know, was only the beginning of uh, this pandemic of child abuse in the Catholic Church, um, cr- criminality really. Criminality is what it is, and the cover-ups and the collusion, and the church moving priests around, especially in Canada, uh, where they would have these uh, predators priests in in different parishes, and they would sexually assault and abuse, and and let's be candid, they would rape children, and then they would they would their bishops or the cardinals would know about it. And then they would, instead of turning these police these priests over to the police, um, they would move them around to other parishes. You know, there was a place up in Aurora for years, just two kilometers from where I used to live. That was a big. Uh, it looked like a, you know, some kind of a vacation. Spa, but that's where they would send these derelict priests for years to to recuperate and to get therapy, so then they could put them back out to commit more crimes. So this is a a tragic, tragic issue. Uh, The abuse that happened, especially in the in the uh, indigenous communities, is is awful. It's generational. There's a lot of pain there. So on the one hand. I think the Pope coming here was good in the sense that they're coming here to apologize. I mean, it's the Pope, the leader of the church in the world, so he's coming to acknowledge these crimes. But it rang a little hollow because, of course, there was no action with it. So we have to be careful, I think, with regards to the victims because we have to be sensitive to the victims and 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 each of them personally how they would how they would take that apology but the problem is that when he came here he did not offer any financial support to the victims he did not offer uh, any hope of the the police who are investigating these things getting access to Vatican documents that show these crimes occurred and and evidence He did not offer uh, any financial compensation whatsoever to communities affected. And, of course, this is on on the backs of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. When they made their report and the Catholic Church, the, the Catholic Diocese in Canada, promised to give $25 million in compensatory money to victims. And we learned just a couple of years later they didn't they gave 3 million dollars they didn't pay the rest of it and then they tried this thing oh we did that in kind services we we paid some of it in kind services like by giving counseling and stuff so it's it's very problematic to me these are criminal acts there are priests there's a priest right now living in France who basically went across the arctic for decades and sexually assaulted children He's in his 80s now. He's in retirement as a priest in France. He should be immediately uh, detained and, and sent back to Canada and tried. The Pope has some control over that. Nothing. Uh, the Catholic Church in Canada, uh, in my mind, has uh, a lot to, to account for. And so this comes nowhere close. The bigger problem, though, is in going back to rome on his way back he spoke to some international media and he said that a genocide had been committed here in canada with regard to these uh, the these sexual uh, acts against children and i think that from just a legal perspective was a mistake i don't think uh i don't think as horrible as everything is that they that they've done i don't think it fits the category of genocide and that's that's a very serious problem that he's now created for the church and for governments and I think for historians and other people who are trying to trying to examine this issue and place it where it needs to be placed but it's 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 horrible and and deranged in many things but I don't think it fits the the international rule of law declaration of what a genocide is and I I think that statement by him is is problematic and
0: irresponsible so let's break this down because I think there's at least two issues here and they and they may be overlapping to a certain extent but uh you know I think that um this uh the the sexual um assaults um of uh, of young people um children children um you know is one issue and that regrettably didn't happen just in one, um, you know, population indigenous people It happened everywhere around the world. And it's interesting, the New York times, the Sunday New York times had a major story and column, uh, uh, this week on this issue and, uh, called for, in the opinion piece, uh, the end of, uh, of celibacy, uh, in, uh, in the priesthood, um, and suggested, uh, and it was interesting. It suggested that the, the percentage of, uh, of people that are pedophiles in the the regular population is a certain percentage but it's dramatically greater with the, the priesthood. Um and that uh, that it was, you know, accepted that if you uh, had that predilection, the priesthood was one of the places that you could go. Um uh, maybe because you could practice that uh that urging that you had uh and or uh because you were trying to Find a way away from it, um, but for whatever reason, uh, the uh, the issue is uh, very prevalent. and And it was interesting. They also talked not only about sexual assault of of children, but of nuns. Uh, and uh, And and that that is a, the story still to come. Um, but also that it happened around the world. Uh, so it's not just something that happened in Canada. It's not just something that happened with Indigenous people. It happened everywhere. And I think we know that. Um, that uh, that. Uh, and and so what they said is that that celibacy is unnatural um it was not something that uh, that the old testament asked for it's not something that the new testament asked for it's not something that uh, that jesus uh, ever suggested was appropriate it's something and it wasn't in the church for numerous centuries it was something that was put in place uh, later on It was
1: actually the- put in place uh, in the ninth century uh by the pope by the pope in the ninth century because uh the priests had concubines so they had all these mistresses, and we and there's a whole history behind this. The priests used to be able to get married prior to that. This is this is not to your. It's not a a, a law of of the Bible. It's certainly uh, not a law of the Scripture. This is a a a law put in what by what I call the administration of the church that is so perverted the church, Brian. And I have I have many friends of who are Catholic.
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law.
1: 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Who are still practicing Catholics who, you know, and are wonderful people and are very troubled by all of this. And um, I think you just hit the nail on the head with what is the problem and when you and you're absolutely right when you say it didn't just affect indigenous children i mean for me when i left the church it was because i was upset about the mount cashel case which were non-indigenous you know kid young kids in newfoundland and when you say it happened around the world you're absolutely right so well, why did it happen around the world well because the catholic church was spreading its faith around the world in the you know in the 16th 17th 18th, 19th century and they were building you know dioceses and parishes all over the world as as people spread in north america and and as settlements grew in australia and everywhere and so the 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 idea that um you could have a celibate priest uh is unnatural first of all and but in these communities the priests had a lot of power you know, they had just as much power as elected people or a mayor or the head of a, a city that, you know, that that with their moral suasion and power, it gave them great influence over people yeah. and people trusted priests. They trust them because the Catholicism is you trust and you pray for God and you pray for forgiveness. And so it's that kind of trust that, that parents would have trust with the people they're confessing to, you know. In, in, in the confessional, literally on Sundays, here are my sins and here's what I've done. And they would tell this priest, so they'd feel a kinship with that priest. And then so they'd put their children with that priest if they had a problem. Well, the priest will bring your children to me and I will help them. And then you'd like rape them, you know, because he's a pedophile. This is the problem. And 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 it, so to your point, the, the problem with the Pope and the problem with this visit is it's all a little much, it's a little late. And if they really wanted to tackle this, they would get rid of the celibacy laws. Yeah.
0: And the, and you should think they don't, this, the interesting thing, you know, there are lots of interesting things, but one other interesting thing about this New York times article was that it didn't actually happen everywhere around the world. It didn't happen in places where the Eastern right of the Catholic, uh, church is prevalent because in the Eastern right, you can marry. And, yes, uh, and, that's and, correct. and, and, it, and, 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 and in Protestant churches where you can marry, uh, and their, uh, residential schools, you didn't have it. So celibacy, uh, I think is the issue. However, I think there's a second issue here and that is this forced assimilation, this, this, this desire, and this wasn't just the Catholic church. I think it was other religions. It was the federal government. It was society potentially in general that didn't believe that, that indigenous people really could and should continue their culture. And uh, they were sent to residential schools to try to assimilate them into, uh, to Christianity and into the, uh, to the you know, the, the Westerner way of life. And that is what potentially the Pope was talking about in regards to a cultural genocide um, where, you know, I think that he thought, and, and, and I think there's a lot of people that think that, that churches generally uh, the government uh, in addition really were trying to get rid of indigenous culture and assimilate them into Western culture. And I think that's a separate issue. It's, it's not sexual assault. It's racial or cultural
1: Well, I I agree to an extent. What I would point out, though, I mean, former Supreme Court Justice Beverly McLaughlin, you know, referred to what happened to indigenous people as a cultural genocide. The problem, and it's a bit, I I don't mean to be technical, but it is sort of a technical legal thing here because the Pope didn't call it a cultural genocide. He called it a genocide, which has a lot of implications for the Catholic Church. You know, that takes it out of that cultural narrative that you're describing, which I actually agree with and into something completely different. So that's, I think there's gonna be consequences to that. Um, and to your point about indigenous people in this country, I think one of the challenges, and we're seeing it, and I think it's another problem with the government we have today, because in our country, one of the weaknesses in our country is we our citizens are not educated in civics and in history. We do not demand enough in our education system for for our teachers to, to to teach our children and our students their own history, their own history of their own country, of how their government works, of the indigenous issues in this country that have happened with previous governments. We don't teach this in our country. And uh, it just occurred to me, you know, I was recently in Turkey and I was visiting um, Ankara, the, the, the capital, and I went to a museum there. And it's the Museum for Atatürk, who, who was the, four, you know, the the president of Turkey who who brought them into their independence in the uh, in the 1920s, Mustafa Kemal, the Great Atatürk, uh, who brought them into true democracy and made Turkey the great country it is today. And and I only point this out because there's a there's a shrine to him, like a a national monument. It's a museum, like a mausoleum, much like where they have Napoleon at uh, it, it you know, in Paris, at, you know, uh. At the museum and but the point is what the day i was there there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of school kids and i was talking to one of the turkish interpreters and they said no we learn the history of our country the kids need to know the history they need to know where they came from they need to know what happened in our country and this is a problem in our country that we don't have people who are knowledgeable about our history generally so people have these all these weird ideas of our history here but to your point, one of the great things that, and things we should do in this country is teach people about the tragedy of what's happened to our indigenous people and 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 the steps taken moving forward. You know, to 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 try to right that wrong because it's a big wrong.
0: We're talking tonight with Dan Donovan about a whole bunch of different issues, and uh, the one that we've just been talking about is. Uh, is um, about whether it's a cultural genocide or or whether it's just something incredibly terrible that uh, we collectively have done to our Indigenous people. Uh, Dan, uh, I can't remember who said it, uh, but someone had said that uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about the original sin of the United States being how they treated their Black people. And the original sin of Canada is how we treated our Indigenous people. And so I, th- I agree with you. I think it's a, a massive issue and we need to educate people about it. We need to do something about it. Anyway, we're gonna take a final break and be back in just two minutes. And given that it's uh, our civic holiday, I'm gonna ask Dan a little bit about one of the big issues that's come up recently about about civic politics. Stay with us, everybody. Stream us live at Saga960AM.ca. Welcome back, everyone, to the Brian Crombie Radio. While we're on Saga 960, as usual, I've had a lot of fun arguing with Dan Donovan, who is the Ottawa uh, Life publisher, editor, owner, uh, writer, incredible guy, nice person, who's uh, been kind enough to take me to a, a couple of, uh, of stand-up comic uh, events and uh, and other receptions. And uh, I was kind enough, I think, kind enough to invite him to a couple of hockey games. Um, and got yes. to meet him, uh, when no when we no were at <laughs> Dan, it's Civic quality uh, and so I got to ask you. So Doug Ford came forward with an interesting policy um, to make a couple of mayors super mayors um, and effectively give them a whole bunch more powers than they've had. And I remember chatting with you about how you were very unimpressed with um, a lot of the things that were happening in council in Ottawa. Um, Does it make sense to give... The mayor of Ottawa, the mayor of Toronto, maybe some other mayors, a whole bunch of other powers comparable to, frankly, what mayors in the United States have in some places, not all, uh, and call them super mayors. What do you think of that policy?
1: You know, it's an interesting question, Brian. And our magazine has written several articles on this. uh, And I actually agree with the move to give, in particular, my understanding that Premier Ford was talking specifically about Toronto and Ottawa giving the mayor's more powers. I think his view on that came from when, when he was on council with his brother and saw the frustration of that sausage machine and trying to get things done and through in Toronto, where smaller factions, factions can just stop important projects. I think it's the same thing in Ottawa. The mayor here, there's a misperception in Ottawa about the actual authority and powers the mayor has he can do a lot of stuff by moral suasion and by cajoling things but he's just like one vote on council so when things go really wrong for example like they did this winter with the complete uh bizarro show of the lack of police accountability when the truckers took over the city and people were demanding action the mayor is actually limited in terms of being able to take direct action so I think, I think um, there, you know, I look at it more, there has to be some municipal reform to government to make government more effective, I think, and I'm in favor of it as long as there's accountability provisions with it. I don't think you should give mayors unfettered power to do whatever the hell they want. Council still has to play an important role, but I think there are specific areas where you can give the mayor more authority and more power so that, you know, he just can't be stifled and shut down from trying to do things that are in the public interest. And I, so I thought, Ford, I'm I'm still looking at this to see where, what the specific changes, I want to see the legislative changes he's going to have to bring before the provincial parliament. I'd, I'd be interested in seeing those. But generally, the principle of giving the mayor of Toronto and the mayor of Ottawa more power so they could sort of plow through th- some things to get them done in the public interest, I generally agree with.
0: You know, it's interesting because you and I have talked uh, before about the power of the PMO and you've been critical of the power that the PMO has um, and that it's too strong. And I think that that's the case in in leaders' offices and the PMO's office and the premier's office. So it's a little bit ironic that we're now talking about uh, strengthening the mayor's office. Um, and, and mayors are just one vote on council. And so therefore, while they do have the perception of a lot of influence and power—they uh, are only one vote on council, uh, even though they're elected. And,
1: and I think the reason for that is precisely because of what you just mentioned. Because people think, well, the mayor must have the same kind of power or uh, or influence in his government as the prime minister would have uh, in parliament or the premier would have in the province, and they don't. They don't. They they like they have one vote on council, so they have to create alliances and they have to keep people and that means they have to you know to do this they might have to give somebody that and it's just it's very very difficult in a city the size of Ottawa or one that's much bigger Toronto to to try to navigate some things so I'm all I'm you know I'm not for unfettered power for one person and again I think the devil would have to be in the details because there have to be accountability provisions in that and 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 there has to be a process if we give the mayor's increased power then they have to be accountable and that has to be that has to be clearly laid out how are they accountable
0: you know it's interesting um that a couple of councils have actually taken votes and voted against uh providing their mayors with increased power and so some councils don't want to give up any power and give it to the mayor and so they actually disagree with what uh, Premier ford has been saying and that i think is interesting that councils um disagree, uh, which has got to make some comment about what the councils think about uh, whether the mayors deserve that incremental power or not. I personally um, am not in favor of it. I do think that one of the things that, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before. I think that cooperation, collaboration, working together um, takes more time and it's challenging, but it's actually the right thing to do. And uh, and I think that, you know, while we may have difficulty with what uh, the Liberal Party, NDP, Trudeau, and uh, and Jagmeet Singh have done. It's the kind of collaboration that if we had proportional representation, really we would need a lot more of. And uh, and I think that uh, who killed that?
1: Out. Who killed that? Who killed proportional representation? Justin Trudeau.
0: So I think you know? I think proportional representation makes a ton of sense. I think that minority governments have been some of the best governments we've had. I think collaboration and cooperation, working together with different political parties is the right thing to do. And I think if we have first passed the post or strengthened PMOs or strengthened uh, mayors, we actually, we defeat our system of one vote, one person, one vote. And uh, And so I'm actually not in favor of it. But maybe we'll be talking about this in the future. Anyway, that's our show for tonight. Dan Donovan, editor and publisher of Ottawa Life Magazine. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This has been a a political uh, sort of uh, roundup uh, for uh, Ontario Civic Holiday um, and uh, holiday for uh, Monday for lots of different provinces across Canada. Uh, A real pleasure chatting with you, Dan. I remind everybody I'm on every Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock on 960 AM. You can stream me online from Ottawa at www.saga960am.ca. Have a great holiday, everyone. Have a great week. Good night, everybody. No radio? No problem. Stream us live on Saga960am.ca. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy.